0: And boom, we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest edition of the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Today's podcast is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia. Designed for use by the US military, caffeine chewing gum has been widely used in professional sports as the main pre-game or training caffeine source for a number of years now. Some of the benefits include 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece, it absorbs through your mouth and not through your stomach, therefore giving your body quicker access to the caffeine and it comes in three different and unique flavours including cinnamon, spearmint and arctic mint. Try some today at www.caffeingumaustralia.com Okay, today's podcast is with former Waratahs, Northern Suburbs, and current Toyota Verblitz coach, Simon Cron. This episode was an absolute treat for me. As someone who has just joined the world of coaching, I basically just asked him things that I always wanted to ask him. I could have honestly talked to to him for hours. We talked about coaching, mentors, including Steve Hansen, Wayne Smith, and his uncle, Mike, how to change cultures, and a lot more. This is a fantastic podcast for rugby people, but even if you're just interested in how to get the most out of a group of humans, then it's worth a listen. For me, I think in today's day and age, it's rare to meet someone who is on a path to mastery. That doesn't necessarily mean that they will get there, but even meeting people who are on the path is something to sit back and appreciate, and in my opinion, Crony is definitely on that path. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Just a note, during the chat, I asked him about what he changed at Norse to go from missing the finals in his first year to winning it the next, and we had a good chat about it. About 15 minutes afterwards, he sent me this email, which I promised him I would add into the audio. Mate, the thing I probably missed the bus on was that the key to success across Norse was getting the right people in the club, getting great coaches at grade and Colts level, my assistant in 2016 was gold and still coaches with me. Head of SNC was a huge addition, added at the end of 2015. Managers and support staff, board support. The boys were surrounded by the best people. Steve Hansen talks about getting people in the right seats on the bus, and we did that at Norths. The biggest two changes in staff from 2015 to 2016 was bringing in Rob Forks as head of... Athletic performance as he changed our physical makeup and Will Eggleston as backs coach. I hope I said that right, boys. He still coaches with me at Toyota. To get success, players need to be surrounded by great people, and we achieve that with the coaches below. First grade, as below first grade, as well as managers and a supportive board. So there you go, guys. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the great Simon Cron. Come
1: yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Yeah, got you now, mate. How are you?
0: Mate, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah. you just you just in lockdown, so you've gone
1: you've gone home. uh yes, I'm I'm in New Zealand now because uh, um, my wife and kids uh came back when COVID hit, and um, both sets of grandparents are in Christchurch, so to give Amy a bit more support, um, she came back here, so. In Sydney, no family at the moment, so with the kids a bit easier, and no husband, so.
0: So you, so you were you were in um, uh, Japan on your own for most of the time. Ten months. Yeah, yeah. right. How
1: was that? Nightmare. Yeah. Tough. Was it? Well, it, it, two things. It's good for um, it's hard for the family side of it, so you've got to kind of live that one day at a time. But for rugby, for the t- for r- rugby tennis, good. Because right, yeah. I'm in thirteen hours a day. Full noise code for ten months. So um, I think for them it works, but, but well, not really sustainable.
0: That well, that might explain. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about coaching, if if yep. that's all right. I've got. No, um, I've just started coaching, and I've got a few sort of people that listen to this who are really interested in that side of the st- of that side of the game. So I was hoping to talk a bit about that, if that's cool with you.
1: No, no problem. No problem. So.
0: I don't really research any of these conversations because I prefer to just let it flow. But yeah. I texted one of your old players, and it will, the text message he responded with will probably give it away. But I just got to read it out to you. So there's some things to dig into here. He's yeah. the best. I've, he's the best I've ever been coached by at, balanced, at balancing between being your mate and one of the boys, then flicking the switch into coaching. Um, He's also one of the hardest workers I've ever seen in any capacity in the office before 6.30 in the morning and leaves very late most nights to the point where when Hanson came over for the first time in Toyota, Toyota, he told him he needed to stop working so hard and spend more time with his family. And apparently your Japanese is hopeless, I got told.
1: (laughs) Uh, I tell the interpreters they're not going to have a job. I'm that quick at it. So uh, (laughs) yeah. yeah, no.
0: I, I guess the, probably the first thing I want to dig into, mate, is what, what about the realities of coaching? 6.30 till late at night, is, is that just a reality or is that more you and this, the pressure you put on yourself?
1: Um, I think I think it takes it – like, coaching is a lot harder than playing, uh, I think, in terms of time. Time uh, – not harder, just different. So I think um, players that transition out of playing into coaching – probably don't realise, they only realise 50% of what happens in the background, they don't quite know all the things that have to get done for the team um, in terms of strategy and thinking and, and time you spend on it. Um, Steve did, Steve had two key work-ons for me and one of them was my work-life balance. Um, so he did ask me if my wife had seen me naked for the last five months. So that's his, that's his way of saying, he said I'm not great. So his way of saying you need to go home um, more. So, um, but at the same time, I think it depends on what stage your team's at. And and when I came into Toyota, uh, our team were in need of of that level of work um, for us to be able to 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 restart the program. Um, probably a few of the programs I've been in have been a bit like that, uh, meaning that Toyota team had had a bit of a tough time. Uh, they'd had a drug incident, which meant. They weren't allowed to train. Uh, they've been back working the whole time, so they've been they been working. And, and when I came in, it was a bit of it, it wasn't in a great state um, for those boys and for that club. So to be able to switch it around, you've got to put that level of work in to be able to change uh, things, change culture, change the team. So well, what's an yeah, average? What was yeah. an average
0: day log like for you though? It was like did it vary between preseason and season?
1: Um it, it was long it was long and pretty intense. So the average day for me, we would leave home at, at probably ten past six. Um my forge coach got to drive in with me, so we uh would talk about Arabia on the way. Uh he's over here in isolation with me, so um we would go full noise, so all day should be meetings into uh planning into coaches meetings, Uh, the company management often want to have a meeting with you depending on what's going on around COVID and um, company. So I'd have to meet with them. Then we'd be on field, off field, gym meetings. So so I'd probably get out of there at 6.30 um, or 6, depending on the day. So um, then that was pretty much the norm most days. Friday's a bit better because Friday's travel day or uh, I'm I'm done Thursday, meaning um, my job should be done. It's the players take over. So your Fridays a bit quieter, uh, and then Saturday you're in and then Sunday you're full noise again. So it's it's um it wouldn't be for everyone.
0: Now, I'm just gonna dig into something you mentioned there. Your job's over on the Thursday. As someone that's just started coaching, it's it's kind of blown me away how little control you actually have. On a game day, how yeah. did you? I I don't know you well. How yeah. did you? But but from what I've heard, you like you know, you like being in control and like having mm-hmm. influence. How did you deal with that when you first started?
1: Oh, I'm bad game day, but I've learned that I uh, like I'm I'm pretty high uh, high noise game day, which players don't need. Meaning pre-game, I don't go near them. I just stay away. Uh, i think you'll some of the people who were around me on game day even at north like i remember the general manager adam saying to me he doesn't come near me and like he was asking about the gate not being fixed and i was just like mate i don't care like we're we're on here so i'm pretty high, <laughs> i'm pretty high intensity on the saturday it's an area of my coaching uh i don't relay that to players so i don't i chew a lot of gum I keep my mouth closed unless i need to speak about technical tactical uh i breathe a bit and I'm focusing on what I can help them with, which is realistically substitutional changes, technical, technical stuff that they can't see from, from where I'm sitting. Um, but there's your, the theory is around coaching is that on the Monday, coaches come in full noise or planned, ready to deliver. Players are probably a little bit low because they've come off a, a hard weekend and they're not quite ready to take in too much. So you've got a, coaches are here on Monday and players are sort of here. So you've got to try and balance how much they can absorb and then during the week this happens and then the players on Thursday are starting to take over and the coaches are starting to relinquish their uh, they should have covered. If they haven't coached it on the Thursday, um, yeah. I used to I, I hate seeing a coach trying to coach something on a Saturday morning before they play. Like if you haven't yes, you haven't done your job. So and that kind of happens team run day too. You should be done.
0: I, I, yeah, I kind of noticed, because I've, I've just finished playing, that there's a lot of coaches who will try and jam information into you before a game and at halftime, and I'm going, I, I never remember anything that anyone says to me. It's more how you feel from what they've said, if that yeah. makes sense. Is is that something yeah. that took you a while to adjust to?
1: Well, I was always a big one for technical, technical stuff gets covered. Uh, so, so there's a real good one issue I grabbed off Steve, and I really like it. Uh, CIA he calls it so clarity intensity then accuracy and that's what your week looks like. So uh, Monday for me is all about clarity. making sure we install anything and that's Clubland that would be your Tuesday clarity and intensity and fixes. so I, Tuesday at Clubland I would fix any of the critical things we'd got wrong in the weekend and make sure the boys were clear on how clarity on how that was going to be fixed and in and, and their heads there'd be some intensity at clubland on Tuesday and professional you're intense your intense Tuesday. Um, then Thursday, you're usually intense and, and increasing the accuracy. So they've, they they've learned through clarity. Monday, Tuesday, they're going pretty full noise and fast Thursday. And then team runs all accurate. They, there's nothing they should be learning. There's nothing that they should be going, or how do I, you know, what line out, where do I step on this line? Like, there's none of that. There should be none of that. If that's happening, then someone's made an error uh, during the week.
0: Do you look at, um, so just say that is happening, do you, do you look at the coaches and, and yourself for that or is that one of the, the players not applying themselves?
1: Uh, can be both? You, you've always looked at yourself first. So do we do what we needed to do for them to be able to learn it? And then if you have, then you've got to look at, okay, have they done their homework? So um, the boys, like like some of the boys you played with and some of the boys in, in Sydney, I, you know, I'd make sure they were doing line outs. In the hallway at night with their eyes closed so they just going through their calls they don't need yeah. to it's not intense it's just making sure that they know their movements and their so that when they come in on that thursday um they execute because otherwise if they don't it really does impact on the ability to have a high performance team you know
0: yeah yeah that makes sense um i was going to talk to you about Norse in a little bit but i, I thought it'd be good to talk about um, mentors as well Yep. Um, obviously, working with Steve Hansen for the last two, two seasons, season yep. and a half.
1: Yeah, season um, and a half, really. Yeah.
0: What's it been like being around a guy who's really done it all in world rugby? Has it been a good learning experience for you?
1: Oh, it's been brilliant. Look, it's been probably not as much time together as we would have liked. Um, Steve's visa was a problem getting to Japan. Um, but we talk a lot and he is the best in the world at, at, and, and and he's brilliant to bounce some stuff off so um he he's he's extremely good at judging uh, other humans and what they what they're good at and how they work so for me it was only, i'd spent two months at toyota uh, he landed after 24 hours he'd summed up our entire coaching staff and who does what and who's who in the zoo um, so he's really good like that um, in terms of technically and tactically, uh, we sat down day one before I left to go to Japan, and we stopped talking tactics after two hours. He's quite, he's quite happy. Uh, we we seem to see, I uh, have a few ideas that are similar, just around rack speed, just the basics, not the not the high level stuff. And then he was more interested in okay, let's talk about you. So he's he's really invested in um, your longevity, and, and he he's very good. He's probably the five year plan man, uh, whereas I'm the let me nail Monday training as best yep. I can, and nail Tuesday and look at the week. So I'm probably a little bit more micro, he's more macro. So for me, it's a huge asset. Um, and he is, when you talk to him, mate, phenomenal. Like, And there's a reason why he's had so much success. So, uh, yeah, I'm blessed to be able to work with him.
0: What about you? Is he your uncle, Uncle Mike?
1: Yep. Yeah, Uncle
0: so- Mike. For anyone that's listening, um, there's a really good Rugby Bricks podcast that uh, Mike Cron did with, I think the guy's name's Pete, and it's a fantastic chat. Mm. What influence has someone like Mike been, who, again, has done it all in World Rugby, on Mm. on your coaching and and stuff you might have taken away from him?
1: Oh, massive. Like um, Mike and his son, Danny. Denny's at the Hurricanes. Hurricanes Hurricane Scrum coach. Yeah, that's right. So... so, um, Mike is next level phenomenal. Like, um, if you're looking at somebody who's technically and tactically outstanding and has, um, a really good understanding of skill set across boards, backs everywhere and then how to relay it, he's phenomenal. So Mike would get a call from me every time I'm back in New Zealand. Um, we'd catch up in general, just life. And then I would say to him, let's lock out four hours of code. Um, and uh, he would sit with me and we'd just bounce stuff off each other. So he would say, this is, you know, this is what I'm seeing in the game in the world. And I'd say, well, you know, what are you seeing in four shapes? How can we change our ruck arrival speed? And um, we'd just talk for four hours. Um, yeah, but he, you know, he would go and coach the under 15 Fs if he had a chance. So he's always so giving uh, like that. And I think that's where New Zealand rugby's blessed to have people like him at the top who, who will literally go anywhere and coach anyone at any time. Um, and for me, huge mentor, awesome, amazing. I mean, I, I haven't had as much time with him. Obviously, I live in Sydney. Or I lived in Sydney for 14 years. Um, so, But when I got back, he would always – yeah, he's, he's gold for me. And, and same with Danny.
0: Yeah. Hey, so something I find really interesting about Mike is that he, he will look elsewhere for any idea that will help um, scrummaging rugby forward play. Like yeah. I think he mentioned, he mentioned that he, he gets these guys to do tightrope walking.
1: Yeah, balance. You
0: know, and wrestling and, and just generally thinking outside the box, which man, I thought that was really an interesting approach and you could really see what he's done from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about yourself? Do you look at any other sports or yeah. or any other athletes and take things away?
1: Yeah, I, look, I think you're always trying to get better and you're always trying – and there's so much – so, like people talk about sport and what's seven days old and rugby's old? because everyone's seen it. like So whatever happened last week in rugby has happened and everyone's got it on six different angles on tape. So you've really got to always be thinking about how you can change or evolve or adapt or make things better. Um, and professional development for me has been enormous. Like every season um, I've copied their mantra of trying to find somebody or something I can watch to learn from and um, like I've been lucky Um, 2014, I I flew from Sydney to the Hurricanes for a week and spent there with Danny and upskilled on areas I thought I was weak at. Um, I've been with the Crusaders. I've spent a lot of time. I I flew when I was at the Waratahs in 2018. That season finished. And um, I was looking to go to Europe, and I was trying to work out how to do it cost-wise and a wife and kids and me being away for super. Uh, and then Wayne Smith was in Japan at Kobe. So I actually, I don't know Smithy, but I sent him an email and I asked if it, he would mind me coming into his environment. And he um, replied and said, No, I was but you've got 12 days till I fly out. So uh, I went home that night and I said to my wife, I said, I'm off to Japan. This is a super abuse just <laughs> You can imagine how that goes down. So she, I said, I'm off to Japan. And she was like, What the, you know, and I said, It's to watch Wayne Smith. And she said, I, "I get it." And then I said, "It's going to cost about five grand." She's like, <laughs> so she wasn't she wasn't overly excited, but it's an investment in yourself. And It's a tax deduction. Um, yeah, exactly. And I learned a lot. I went over with a couple of key questions about longevity, and, you know, how to survive in the game with a family, and, and how to um, how to be better at that, and, and just watch him. And um, you know, I spent a week with him, and that's priceless, priceless. Uh, every
0: every interview I've ever seen from any All Black player through that era, just they hold him in the highest regard. Like yeah. you know, obviously, obviously um, Steve Hansen was well regarded, Graham Henry was well regarded, but he yeah. seemed to be on that extra level.
1: I think they all. I think what they've done there in their coaching staff is um, they've created a marriage. They, they've got the right pieces, um, and every one of those guys, Mike Steve. Uh, Wayne all those coaches so that they complement each other and they hold each other accountable and, and um, they they have a thing called the inconvenient uh, facts which means they're willing to bring it up with each other um, and they call it a marriage um, and you know you've got to have that so he was i expected Wayne when i watched him on TV and interviews i thought he was kind of the calmer type coach um very kind of a lower key. Uh, And he was the opposite. He is high intensity. He is full noise. When he's on that field, uh, he has got a really sharp edge um, to him, which I can have with with the boys uh, around standards. So um, I really enjoyed that. And he told me how to you know it's a good thing to have and how to use it. And you pay attention to Smithy when he's on field. Even I, I was like Jesus, you know. So it's good. It was really good.
0: Mate, what about other sports? Or, or at this point in your career,
1: have you mostly just looked at uh, running? Um, no, I will usually look at other sports, usually in video. Um, I would love to get in to have a look at uh, some of the rugby league coaches, and that's mainly just for my own interest around um, their ref counter and how they coach, like Craig Bellamy, uh, obviously would be one I'd be quite interested in, and in, in long-term success, and that translates into all sports. Um, I watch a lot on other coaches online, um, mainly around like you know even things like Last Dance or Michael Jordan. I'm massive on theming um, on other ta- other sporting success, so I probably would like to do more uh, in that space in the coming years too.
0: Um, have you seen the All or Nothing documentaries on Amazon?
1: I've seen I've seen some, yeah. So um, is it? Uh, Leicester, uh, pitt pit Liga, or whatever. Yeah, uh, Man,
0: Man, City. Uh, yeah, oh, Man
1: City, Man City. Yeah, I There's a couple of those. good,
0: there's a couple of wow. good gridiron ones as well. Kind of gives you an insight into how professional it is over there.
1: Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, I've I've watched um, I've watched a couple of those. I I sometimes I watch them and then I try not to sometimes because in season I uh, I'm so up to your neck in it that some, sometimes the only thing I'll try and watch is something completely pointless to try and um, the coaches uh, talk about the hamster wheel, not turning off. So sometimes I'm just looking for something pathetic so I can turn the hamster off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How do you turn the hamster wheel off?
1: I haven't learned that yet. So that's where Steve's other, this is second one, turn it off. So he, I, I've i got to learn better. I've got to be better. Um, um I, can, I can wake up at three in the morning. Oh, you'd be the same. Well, just,
0: like, I've coached eight games and like, my initial observations are is winning's better and losing hurts way more. Yeah. Yep. And it, it's, you know, you just, you've got no control and it's just eating away at you and you're going, at least when you play, you've just had that physical exertion and you can kind of switch off from it. Much better. The coaching world, you don't get that.
1: Now, that's what I say to the boys all the time. Like, you're lucky at the end of it, you've been in a war where I've had to sit in a box. And um, I don't sit that well in a box. So I have to come, like I have to run in the morning or do weights so that I go in um, uh, not wanting to play. Uh, so as a coach, you've got to have a clear head. You've got to be able to see the pitches and pick the fixes. Um, so, yeah, the hamster wheel, you'll learn. It's tough. Um, and what I've learned to do is... The only thing that will stop that from ticking over is finding the fix. So um, let's say you as a coach, uh, let's say you're right, losing is worse than winning. Oh, I hate losing, Jesus. Um, I love winning, hate losing. So you've got to work out what the critical few are after the game, and I have to do that for I sleep. So I've learned that, let's say we have lost or there's been a loss, I've got to watch it, clip it, and fix it. And then I can... That night? That yeah, night? Usually, yeah. yeah. How long, does, how long does that take you? Uh, super rugby's tough because you're 7.45 game, you're home at 11, 11.30, you might fly to South Africa in the morning. So sometimes I've got to try and shut that off and restart it in the morning when we're flying. or, or um, But it takes me to clip a game three hours, maybe longer. Shoot, okay. shoot, sure it'll be four. Um, I'm, a, I'm a lot quicker at clipping now, but I, I've always clipped as a head coach. So... I've always clipped every facet. So I'll clip attack, defence, line-out, scrums, strikes, gun, breakdown. So I'll have 160 to 180 clips a game. Um, the players don't see that. They see 12 or 15. That was,
0: that was my next question. So what do, you, what do you do with those clips once you have clipped them?
1: Uh, They'll be individual ones. So, for example, if someone wants to come see me about something specific I want to see to them, I'll, I'll have an individual folder for them. So it might be around lining out um, a technique that they've missed or they are looking for too much or they're complicating the simple rather than playing the you know a two-on-one where they haven't have stuck the inside shoulder or they've run, they've run sideways or thrown a missed pass. So that is individual. So what I try to do then is I cut it down to what's specific for our team. And, and what I said before, uh, and this is what I've learned over the years from Mike and from those mentors is you have a thing called the critical few versus the important many. And the skill set of the coach is to be able to work out what's critical for your team between Saturday and Saturday, not what's important. Because on your important list, you might have 15 to 20 things. You can't coach 15 to 20 things and you're wasting your time and you'll kill your players. So what's critical is you've got to work out maybe your five most important things that will make the most difference for your team between Saturday and Saturday. And then you've got to nail them. So, um, I'm always trying to cut down what's to, to the critical few, and then work out the best way for us to fix those and coach those.
0: With with that, is it so the the critical few five things is that just for the whole, every area of the game, or is it five per area of the game? If no,
1: makes- pretty much every we might have two two or three per coach so on our on our um, board at our, our whiteboard at Toyota. I'll have um, tight head, head out, lockout. Scrum time, back five, power. Uh, then we'll have breakdown, first arrival, 45 angle, lower. Uh, ball carrier, uh, fight longer, stay up. So more leg drive, stay square. Then we might have tackle tech, um, punch wrap. And then we might have ball carrier, uh, four on three, stacking shift. So that, that'll be it. That's it. You can't do any so- more.
0: I noticed with um, the terminology you just used as well, it's it's, uh, it's simplified. Mm. Is, is that how you would approach it with the players as well?
1: Always, always. Your job as a coach is to simplify the complicated. So, uh, and this is the mistake we make as coaches, and, and it's a mistake I saw when I was first in, in Australia, and I've seen it a lot, is coaches want sometimes want to sound smart, so, so they complicate it. X to Y to – and I'm sitting there sometimes listening to a coach going, what the – I've got no idea. And I'm not bad, but I have no idea what you're telling me. Um, So if you're on field and you've got it to a stage where it's clear, precise and simple and the player says, well, Crono, that's simple, then you've won. You've won.
0: So let's talk about the differences between professional and shoot shield level coaching. So obviously, when you yeah. go into a shoot shield head coaching role, you've got guys below you who are volunteers, and you know everyone's working really hard. But you're going to get those kind of instances where coaches will overcomplicate things. Yep. Would you do? Would you do some um, on-the-job training for or coach education with your staff as a head coach?
1: Always, always. So uh, start of the season, shoot shield. I'd always present PowerPoint. I'm pretty sure the coaches. Yeah, but not talking about, okay, what do we want to talk about at halftime? Uh, you know, I'd have a breakdown of each skill set and go, right, what is it? What is a pass made up of and what are our cue words? So, uh, and, and it should be simple. So a pass is uh, fingers at ball. Some people say catch early. Punch, and then hands at target. So they're your three cues. That's it. So you, you can look at, you know, a training's running. I can yell out you know, Jed or hoops, finish your hands. And he knows I'm not stopping the train and he knows. And then at third grade, fourth grade, finish your hands. Uh, Cause some of them will drop their lead hand and then the ball goes down or back. So it's been out. Uh, so we would sit down as a coaching staff and I'd go through that in North uh, and we'd go through, okay, catch pass. So the key stuff's obviously you tackle uh, your catch pass running lines uh, and then they obviously, the breakdown. So, we'd use the keywords so that if I was at fourth grade, they could understand the same keyword. Uh, and then it's just been able to help the coaches to deliver that simply. Um, and all of us as coaches uh, have a tendency to talk too much and want to deliver more rather than less. And that comes back to your planning. So, you've got a plan, a lesson plan, like a teacher, uh, having uh, what your activity is. Um, what, what's made up of that activity, and then your coaching points on the right, you know, and it might be your three things you need to achieve it coaching wise. And even though some people want to jump that and talk about the other seven, you can't, you've got to stay on the two things that you want to coach, coach those really well, and then move to the third thing. So you, you're giving players little pieces like you're talking about, you can absorb.
0: So, um, with, with shoot shield, so you're head coach at North, would you review? as a head coach, would you review all aspects of the game but kind of rely on your forwards coach and your backs coach if, if you had them? I'm not sure if you did. And then let them come to you first and then sort of do your own work at the same time. Is that how you did it?
1: Uh, at North, I um, probably, um, my first couple of years there, I was doing scrums, lineouts, attack and defence. So um, probably covering, and then I had a guy doing uh, the backs, so all the strikes and, and very backs-focused. Um, so probably I looked at all areas. Um, with Toyota and, and with uh, the teams I've been in, as that evolved and we got the got right guys in the right spots on the bus, um, you let them clip their areas, you do it too. But what I've learned to do is let them present the area to you first. So uh, And then I'll just skim through mine and see that we've missed nothing. So, for example, defence coach Toyota, I instead if I present first, I'll kill him. Meaning there's just it's just a waste of he would be sitting there going, Crony, you fucking kill him. This is, you know, too much rubbish. So let him go first and then yep, I agree, yep, I agree. Make sure we're seeing the same things because ultimately the message needs to be to the players clear from all four coaches. Um and then I'll if there's anything he's missed, I'll say, Hey, have you noticed uh, you know, um rito came off the line really fast but the two guys either side of them were slow and we created a hinge and we go, yeah i saw that too uh, is it critical you know so we'll have those discussions
0: okay so it's, it's kind of having a second set of eyes just to make sure everyone's seeing it the same yeah. way
1: yeah well, to- you've, all, you've all got to kind of have an understanding of each other's areas so the mistake we make in coaching is it's not silos don't silo yourself so you know forwards coach if he's a, i'm a scrum coach i'm just a silo and then my lineup he's a silo and then my defense coach hit that's you've got to have crossover because ultimately your line-out coach has got to be responsible for so looking at the defense around line out five minutes from the line your line-out coach wants to have an understanding of the breakdown for the forwards your scrum coach needs to understand you know your right run, line running for your open side flanker to hit that breakdown so you, you've got to be like this and the more you can do that then as your coaches become better with each other This starts to happen. So, And and Smithy was massive on, if you're on the field, you're coaching. So it didn't matter who was running uh, the breakdown drill, all four coaches are coaching the coaching points in that drill all of the time. And you'll find as you as a coach, and I was, it's not your area, so you kind of drift away and you watch it. Coach. Coach it.
0: What position did you play?
1: Seven how
0: when you first started coaching how did you learn all the other aspects of the game because obviously as a seven you, you probably understand a lot of lineouts, fair bit of scrums but actually having the confidence to go no this is what we are doing was it yeah, something that took time it
1: did it did um I think my background was PE I was a PE teacher so I understand skill acquisition and how people learn and the stages they go through and I had to coach, as a PE teacher, I had to teach different sports. So I had to break down skills and look at subroutines. So that helped me naturally. But you're right, as a seven, you know, props who's so sitting over there on the bed, they push. I, I'm i on the side, I put my ear on the hip and I push them in and I keep your ass in the scrum uh, and then I'm gone. But uh, for me, I had to upskill. And and by that, I had to watch the game. I didn't watch enough, I reckon, as a player when I was playing. I, you know, I played i didn't i wasn't a student back then and i think i could have learnt more through watching and i don't feel like i was coached an enormous amount uh, i was managed um but i think i could have been better in that area so so once i was out i i watched uh more positions and i asked questions of people i respected in the game around what about this why did he do that how do I change angle on him? First, like scrums were one of my weakness when I went to the Hurricanes, and uh, they're probably one of my strengths now um, as a seven. So um, yeah, it's definitely you've just got to upskill and understand, and also biomechanics helps. Like understanding biomechanics and how force is applied, and and that can help me too. And then and then being able to relay that to a player.
0: It, it, was it the same with backs? I mean, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, I was a tighthead prop. I've all of a sudden become a second grade coach, and I've got fullbacks asking me about running lines and wingers. You know, I step off this foot and that foot. I'm like, oh, I step off both feet as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, but all of yeah. a, all of a sudden, you have to you have to know. And I've been as a player, I would only ever really pay attention to what I needed to know. Yeah. And when I first started coaching, I was a forwards coach, so I'd only worry about what I needed to know yeah. without going you know, what are we doing with our kicking game? And it's yeah. this whole new world's opened up to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm probably asking more questions than I'm actually doing coaching. But yeah. it was that was that a similar yeah. thing for yourself?
1: Yeah, 100%. Like, you, you, you've you got to go, wait a minute, What? how does a back three pendulum work versus a double fallback system defensively? Even this year, we we're debating uh, in our own team around going double fallbacks, African style versus pendulum because it allowed us to get a better kicking game. So, even for me, you're constantly evolving around the areas you need to learn. And the way you do that is you get on. uh, So, for example, you're talking about a winger, right? Uh, And you're talking about stepping off both feet and how he, you know, can he be a finisher and beat, beat, how does he beat that player? What angle he runs without running out? So you kind of watch a bit of the game and watch the best wingers that you think are the best wingers and watch how they play and then track them. So you need to get four angles if you can, rather than just the TV angle. Um, yeah. and, and then you've got to work out for yourself okay, why is he doing that, how does that work and how will that work for my guy and is my guy the same as him or is he a different shape winger, is he faster rather than big um, so there's, there's always those kind of combinations you break down to work out what's best for your player so I had a winger in Japan this year lightning quick, he's just made the Japan side been pulled up uh, he wasn't beating guys, he was stopping so he'd go to, he's got lightning speed but he'd stopped last year and he had no chip and chase so as soon as even the backfield was free, he wouldn't chip. So we, I was like, right. So I sat him down and we did a heap of him running, chipping, him uh, crossfield kicking for, a, you know, centre kicking. That's not my area of expertise, but um, I had to learn how to get better at it to help him.
0: So you would, you would go through and watch the best players in the world in that position and then work out how they're similar and then go, this is what we can add to this player's game to yeah. take him to the next level. Yeah. So you would do all that work beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's 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 interesting. And would you ask anyone questions about it? Just just say it was like an intricacy, of back play that you may or may not have understood. do, do yeah. you have somebody to talk to about that?
1: Um, it's hard because if, like your first five doesn't run down the sideline and chip over the top as much, you know. So unless you've got a guy in the same position who's really good at it, it's yeah. hard for you to. Uh, you've got to come up with a solution. yourself. if you've got to bounce it through your coaches, sometimes. Um, but you've got to ultimately come up with a closed and then to open skill drill that he can execute that will happen in a game. And you can, you can make that happen, Like you can give him a little part of a game and make him do it 15 times. Uh, and if he does it 15 times, he'll do it in the game. But what I can't have is me sitting in a box on Saturday going, why did he not chip and chase? The backfield was open. Well, it's my fault. He didn't chip and chase because no one's coached him. So, I'd much rather work out how to coach him, coach him it, and then on Saturday watch him do it and me relax and I have a heart attack. And then uh, you know, much, much more fun.
0: Um let's talk about Norths. So your first year as a head coach there, I think you came eighth or ninth, was
1: it? Yeah, we missed we, we lost five games by one point that year. So we yeah. missed out the finals by I think two points, uh making that top six.
0: What did you see in that first year that you changed or that you adapted for the next couple of years?
1: Well, it started in '15, so I came and we had a big off season. that mm-hmm. would only won uh, three games. I think the year before they'd finished 11th out of 12. So what I wanted to see in my first year was I didn't want anyone who wanted to come to the club. Great, but I wasn't actively looking for huge numbers. I wanted to coach what was sitting at the club and work out where our weaknesses were, where our strengths were. Um, I needed to change the culture. We had... I, I probably paid for 500 coffees in that first uh, few months because I had a bunch of guys that had lost uh, the love of the game. They would lost the love of... It. My fourth graders had gone out to Penrith and been beaten by 88 points. They only had nine players. They'd had enough. They just weren't join it. Um, so I had to sit down with them and just to talk about how we're going to change in 2015. In uh, 2015, I set the culture because... Um, we probably weren't in a position where the players could set the culture but, um, So I walked in and went, this is what we're going to be We're, gonna, we're only going to play because you love the game Because we're not going to pay we're not, we're not a big money club um, And only guys that in the middle of winter, even though it's not that cold there uh, They're going to love playing So number one, boys, you only stay here if you want to love, love the game Number two, we want to be the best of the best which means there was 115, 116 years of, of Norse rugby. You, I want you to be the best line-out lifter in 116 years. I want you to be the best uh, two-on-one catch pass in 115 years. I want you to be the best uh, box kicking halfback in 115 years. So best of the best was our mentality around standards and skill. And then second to no one, uh, which means, and I said this, to, and it's funny now, but I said, Wilma, well, you play Michael Hooper, no backwards step." No backwards step. So, our mentality had to be that. So, 2015, we we kicked off the season. We won four games out of our first four. Um, and what did I learn? What I learned was, well, and, and that's a good start because i only won three or something like a year before. I learned that some people at our club had low standards and they were happy with that. I wasn't. Uh, and at the club rooms, I didn't know this till the end of the season, but I had people even from the board saying to players, oh, it doesn't matter what happens now. You've won more than last year. So I didn't know that. How, how do you deal with that? I, I found out about it and I fixed it. So uh, I found out at the end of that season, because we we won four or five in a row, had a few injuries, and we lost a lot of one-pointers. Um, and one of them was against your team. I'll talk about that. And uh, I got them in a huddle, started 2016, and I said, this is what will happen. We will start to win games. And I said, people from outside of our group will not understand the level of standards that we want and what we're here to do, which is first. So when they come up to you and say, you guys are doing great, and they pat you on the back, I said, I want you to smile at them, and I want you to nod your head, and I want you to think you're happy with average, but we're not. So I said, don't say anything. Just nod your head and smile, but just remember they are not in our group. And we don't accept average, so that yeah. You know, whereas before we had. So,
0: so sorry, mate. So I'm just so it was more fixing the players' attitude to yep. the external yep. attitudes rather yep. than getting rid of the external attitudes. Well,
1: I didn't know who was going to come at them externally. So in this scenario, a board member, but it could have been their mother, it could have been their brother, it could have been their girlfriend. Oh shit! You're doing well. You won six games. You haven't won anything yet, champ. So it's just um, changing their mindset around standards and understanding that within our environment, this is our standard. And outside our environment, they don't hold the same standards. I don't expect them to. But in in our house, we will. So that was a learning. Um, And then the other big learning, you know, we played you guys. I was away, unfortunately, and we're up 31 to 9. And uh, I landed coming back from work overseas and we'd lost 32-31. Now, that happened five times. So, I the boys said they got um Dropbox clips bouncing into their folders at 8 a.m., but um, uh, which is bad by me. Uh, but I learned that we had losers mentality. So, I called my center that day and I said, Mate, uh, just walk me through what you're thinking. And he said, Oh, I could see it unfolding in front of me, Cronin. And I said, What do you mean? And he said, Oh, I said at 32 to 9, you could see it unfold in front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when I realized all that losing had become a habit and that they were scared of what was going to happen, even up 32-9, mate. Like, so that's when I identified I needed to help them to stay in the now, stay in the present. So um, and what that mean, what that looks like is you do your role for the next 10 seconds, do that really, really well, best of the best, and then stop and start again. Um, because what he was doing was thinking about the future, thinking about the scoreboard and thinking about losing. And as a result of that, he'd stop playing. So he'd stop coming forward defensively to make the tackle because he was watching the game unfold in front of him. So then I had to change our mindset and start to teach the boys about staying in the process. So you hear process all the time, right? But process means that I do my job really, really well right now. So for you as a tidy prop, it will be hit out lockout or to be, um, I need to get my punch bond and then pull my foot back. So understanding what I need to do now and then doing it really well. Because the risk is as a player and the biggest mistake as a player is you live in the future, which is winning, losing, uh, or you live in the past, which is I dropped the ball two minutes ago and I need to make up for that. So if you live in the future or the past, you make mistakes in the now. That's what happens. So, boys, if you're thinking about that or think about it, you will make errors now. So, so right.
0: when, when you go – so just say at the end of a game, like we lost on the weekend by a point. Sim- yeah. Similar situation to what you're talking about. And I've gone, why did we lose? And boys go, poor execution. So poor execution is not playing in the now. That's right.
1: Yeah. Because you remember, skill set, they can all do the skills that you've coached them most often, Right. It's just whether they execute under pressure and execute at speed or whether their mind is currently focusing on the now. So, for example, your, I'm not sure how yours uh, ended up. But ultimately, for you to win games in pressure situations when you're behind on the scoreboard, you're going to need everybody to do their role. And that might be something as simple as cleaning out. So you as a tighthead I'd say you clean a lot of bloody rocks, right? So if you don't clean that rock, your winger doesn't score the try. So it's everybody understanding the value of staying in the now and me doing my role. So even though, you know, on the, on the highlights reel, you'll show somebody scoring a try in the corner, well done, you know. It's all, what you want to show is the 62 actions that led up to that guy scoring the try, and the value and importance on the fact that Duncan Chubb cleaned three rucks, did two ball carries and passed this. You scored the try.
0: Is that the process you went through with the Norse boys? Did you literally go through and show them your yep. moments in the game like that? Yep. How quickly did the – I mean, they obviously bought into it pretty quickly, but – or did they? Did they buy into that reasonably quickly?
1: They did, um, but it takes time. It takes time for them to understand process. And, and when it starts coming out of their mouths and in interviews and they start talking about it on the field and they start living it, that means they've got it. So when you hear them saying it, and you hear them, you know, like I watched Chilly Sinclair get interviewed by at halftime and someone said to him, oh, that was a great first half. And, then, and, and, and you know, oh, geez, it, you must be tired. And he was like, no, I'm not. I'm fresh as days, I've just started. Because we gave no excuse. Like, it's 80 minutes. You're not an iron man. Don't you ever tell me you're tired. It just pisses me off. So, yeah. um, 10 seconds at a time, you can go for, you can go for three games if I force you to. you just got to mentally be, understand that you can. So, Um, there was a lot of that we did it at training, we did it at games we played, um, we did activities at training that forced them to um, stay in the now through playing 32, 33 phases until somebody made a skill error and the skill error ended it for everybody so they understand how important it was Um, yeah so we do a lot of that
0: Did Did you, were you driving this or did you go to the senior players and go this is what's happening, you guys need to drive
1: this Oh, I had, a great, I had a great group of boys um, there who just wanted to become better rugby players, who wanted to learn. Uh, and that's all you ask. That's all you need. Guys who want to become better at rugby. And my job's and, and the coach's job and the management's job is to make them better at it. Um, so initially when I first went in, because they'd lost so many games the year before, they probably needed a bit more uh, coach-driven. Um, but as they come, like because the stages of learning they go through, once they understand why you're doing something and how it helps them, they then start taking over. So ultimately, your end goal is that your leadership group makes the decisions on the field. My first year, I felt like I was telling them what to do, and I hated it. I hated it. Second year, I'm sitting back, and I'm saying, okay, what are they saying? Oh, Will Miller's just said that we need to stay more patient, and we need more lead drive in the ball carry, because our cleaners are slow. Perfect. And so, So... Once they understand what how to look at things properly, which comes from you, and they understand how to evaluate it, then you are putting icing on the cake at different stages of that game, and they are actually making the decisions uh, or helping to.
0: So, rather than telling people, it's more guiding, guiding them.
1: Yeah, they've got to. They, they don't know what makes up. A, they don't know the game. You've got to help them to get to that level uh, about staying in the now. Like some people would have never heard that until now. And so they don't know what they don't know. So you've got to help them with that. But then ultimately, um, you have a lot of meetings. I have a lot of leadership meetings. I sit down, I ask them questions, I quiz them. I talk about in those reviews, I talk about, right, boys, we've got a two-on-one. Uh, all you've got to do is stick the inside shoulder and, and don't eat your mate space, we score a try. So then the boys start to see that in the reviews. Their rugby brains become better. And then they can start, helping more and more and more. So, yeah, they become a big part of it.
0: Um, I, I guess for me, like I know a lot of the Norse boys pretty well. And the, the thing that I was most impressed with is you, you didn't go out and spend a ton of money. It was more guys that were there and obviously a few other guys came in. But it yeah. was making the most of guys who clearly had the ability, you know, like your, your Sinclair brothers, your Willie Miller, guys like that and is there i'm I'm wording this poorly but is do you go into that with i've got a three-year plan or or is it i'm going to try it out the first year and then make subtle adjustments how how do you work that
1: probably the second one more i'm going to go and look i think there's, there's different types of coaches you have coaches who recruit full teams um that's a recruiter it's not a coach if you recruit a full team, you're just dropping them on top of guys like Hugh Sinclair, and then we, we, Hugh Sinclair wouldn't have come through. You know how 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 sad would have that been? Will Miller wouldn't have come through uh, if I recruited. So what you do is you look at your team, you coach what you've got in front of you. Uh, Hughie was coming out of third and second grade. Um, you know even Wolfie scored a lot of try. He was in second grade. So yeah. you coach those guys, you see what they've got in them. And then you look at your depth and work out. So my approach to recruitment is you've got a fire hose, which is really, I need a 12. So fire hose, find a good 12 that suits you and your team. Sell them on the, uh, you're going to learn, become better at rugby. You've got to love the game. Or you have a sprinkler, which is a sprinkler. Everyone and try and I get 15 players and, just I, I'm not a fan of that so I'm a fire hose approach so I sat down into 2015 I said right uh, Angus Sinclair wanted to come because his brother was there there's a 10 I need a 12 so I sat with Eri Simone out of rugby league um, he had three other clubs also talking to him he chose us no for no money uh, the other clubs had money um, but that's one, not what we were about culturally at the time uh, I needed uh, a a tight prop So we were looking for one of those. So that was it. That was us. And that completed our our jigsaw puzzle around what we required in the field. Um, And then when you build it, other people choose to come. So we'd have people show up randomly. And I'm a massive one for anyone who wants to play rugby play. Anyone who shows up at our club, I don't care what level they're at. Uh, We've got to make them welcome. So everyone, uh, make sure you know their name by the end and shake their hand. They enjoy the environment. That they come into. So we all of a sudden started to have a lot more, you know, instead of having eight versus Penrith, we would have 28 uh, guys at fourth grade wanting to play. So, and that's uh, for the game, that's great. That's what we want.
0: I, I, I was talking to, um, so Todd Loudon's coaching at South at the moment. I've gone, I've looked at it. So professional rugby, you're really coaching 30 players. With Shoot Shield, you're the boss of all full grades plus the Colts, really. And then there's a mix of aspirations from your your aspirational player to, you know, guys who just want to be a part of something and have beer and, yeah. you know, guys who aren't really interested in playing at all but just turn up for the social side of things. Yeah. Was it hard for you to juggle that or are you was that something you just that came naturally to you?
1: Um, I think in your top... Few you got to work it out, okay, so third grade is, is one hamstring tear away from first grade at Shoot Shield. So I always said to the boys, uh, understand third grade, if we have a hamstring tear, you need to be in first grade. So let's coach you, train you. Uh, we've got to coach four deep in every position for us to win a title. So I need to spend time with the fourth tight head prop. Um, so we coached deep, uh, really deep, to create uh, depth for us to be able to win. Um, now, at the same time, uh, I watched every fourth grade game. I love those boys, and they had a couple of guys that jumped up the ranks. So we had a third grade and a fourth grader play first grade that year or change, you know. Um, but a lot of them, like you mentioned, are in it because they love playing. So what do I need to create? Well, I need to create an environment where they keep loving playing and um, that my fourth graders. Uh, and my first graders know each other like brothers and, and want to spend time together too. I'm, I'm anti um, ones versus twos. Some coaches take the, I've seen it, they like to take the, uh, the easy approach. Oh, you're not in ones anymore, let's show them and make it a twos versus ones ones versus twos approach. But I hate that. I'm a massive one on us versus them. So us as a club versus you as a club. So we'll huddle on Tuesday and I'll say, right boys, us versus them. We're going to South this week. Colts South are coming to you, so us versus them. So us as a club versus them as a club. It's not first grade versus first grade. So, and then all of a sudden we're all part of the same family. So, uh, and I still, I still love watching. The, oh, I want to get to Sydney and watch those fourth graders play. Uh, they went to two grand finals during that time. So, um, and they have fun. And 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 I, them winning always made me feel good about uh, first grade. It's good luck. So, it's um,
0: something that I've always hated is the anyone but uni same. Like, yeah, I think it should be no one but us. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a loser mentality. has been on the opposition. Yeah. So, so one of the things I identified in my first year is we had too much respect for certain jerseys, colour of their jersey. All of a sudden, we stopped playing because they're wearing a different colour jersey to the guys the week before. So we don't want that. We've got to create consistency of performance. So I said, well, we're going to name every team white team. So I don't give a shit what jersey they wear. You play the same. So you play your Penrith. You play the same. If they, and you know, Penrith were good, really good back then. They'd beaten Norths Sea before. Um Or you play uni. Because when we played uni, all of a sudden we started dropping out of process. We started doing things because their jersey was different. So I needed to get rid of that for us to win. So um, we were white team. We play white team. And everything's about us. I don't give a shit. just like, little things where we attack in the opposition around weaknesses in them, um, but we're us and, and, and we've got to develop what, what we want to do and then target their weaknesses.
0: So, so with a preview, I, I always thought, particularly like second, third grade level, it's what, if you do your role right within the team and within the structure of your game, you're more likely, you're more than likely going to win. Yeah. In, my, in my view. Um, so when you're doing a preview you go, this is what we have to do to counteract their weaknesses rather than, this is what they do
1: Well, I'd go us versus them and I'd say, right, us Um, our NTRs are critical, no time required areas, so pressure Uh, we need to dictate the contact zone against uni because they won't make us think too much, so we've got to get off the line and tackle on the ball Um, and I'd say them um, and I'd have a couple of key points we need to understand about the way they play so they love quick ruck speed. Okay, so we need to slow it. How do we do that, boys? Okay, a tackler plus one on the inside, soldier or jackal will slow their ruck speed down. That'll give us line integrity, which will give us line speed to do the game. So okay. we, we've got to understand what they do and how they do it. And then we've got to put them into what we used to call their B game. So we know what uni's A game is. We know what south's A game is. Try and punch holes yeah. in us. Okay. So South's always big. So you guys would always try and punch holes in us. Well, that's okay, because we quite like that. So you're going to have one-out runners, big forwards, try to punch game line. So what do you need to do, boys? Well, they won't make us think much around the attacking forward shape. So we're going to get off the line and tackle under ball, because as soon as we go over ball, over game line, and we're on our back. So you've got to understand what you've got to do as a team against that specific side and give them the skill set to do that.
0: Okay. Um, mate, I'm, I could talk to you all day, so I won't. I won't waste too much more of your time, mate. I'm really grateful for I'm this. Happy, mate.
1: Don't worry about it. Very <laughs> very yeah. um,
0: I think people will get a lot out of this. A couple more questions, if that's okay. okay. What's easier, professional rugby or semi-professional rugby, in terms of coaching? What do you prefer?
1: Um, oh, I love. Sorry, that. Well, that,
0: not, not what you prefer. Which is. I'm wording it poorly again, but which is easier to
1: coach? I I think there's challenges in both. Ultimately, as a coach, you are judged every seven days. There's not many jobs. Accountants usually aren't judged every seven days. So you've got to have a really clear understanding of how you can get through seven days. And that's what I was saying to you about you working on the critical few that'll help you focus, remain focused. um, Because that's staying in the now. Um I think with professional coaching, there's a few different challenges. Um, I think with amateur coaching or semi-professional, uh, you run into those challenges too. So I reckon, to be honest, mate, it's, they're very similar. Like, for example, every hour you're on field is an hour to two hours planning off it if you want that player to understand and, and make it simple for him you've got to work out how to make something that's a bit complicated into something really simple for him so that he doesn't think he can just move fast. So at Norths, I would do that. And at uh, at professional level, I would do the same. So it doesn't matter what level you're at. You've got to be able to make it simple for that player. Um, I think the higher you go, you've got to probably have a better understanding of the skill set because it's a game of inches. So, you you, you know... Um, line-out time, uh, visual reaction time is 0.25 of a second. 0.25. So that means that Brady Ritalic, as soon as you move, is 0.25 of a second behind you because he will move as soon as you do and he's, he's quicker. So if he's 0.25 of a second behind me, that's 20 centimetres in the air. So that means that if I do everything perfect, he's that far behind me at Super Rugby. All right? So therefore I've got to make sure that my boys move fast so they don't so they don't jump jump they step jump. Um, the thrower knows the trigger so the ball's on on time. It's not coming because that gets taken up in 0.25 of the second. So if we're 0.25 of the second late at super rugby with Brady Retail opposite you, we lose the line in. Yeah, so nice. I think the difference between Super and North is they might be half a meter behind us at line at the so uh, so my jump-jump, he got away with being a jump-jumper, you know. So it's just it, – it, it's a game of millimetres. Mm. Assistant
0: coach versus head coach, what do you – I'm guessing I know the answer already, but do, do you prefer head coaching?
1: I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On my personality type, Steve, Steve did a presentation to me when I was making a decision. Uh, he was really good around going to Japan and he said, well, this is why you're a head coach. And he had it written down Uh, and he's probably, he's right. Um, I, 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 but I loved being an assistant coach of Waratahs. I loved coaching those boys. I love New South Wales. I was there 14 years. We'll go back there and live there. Um, uh, And my job there was to help those. I had, I had five, type 5 forwards under the age of who just came out 20, they were 20 years old so you as a tidy prop, no so I had Harry Johnson-Holmes, Swineau, uh, Ryan McCauley, Shambeck-Lavui JP Sawney. there's five type 5 forwards, 20 years old um, so uh, you know, my job as an assistant was to give to try and make those guys successful and and, and then I had Sandell as well also young um, I needed those boys I you got to coach hard mate you're a They're that young. You're a coach, and you got to coach hard um, and deep. So I loved my role there. And in 2018, I I, I was involved in all the ball skills, the catch pass, running lines, two-on-ones, the two on ones, the passing primers. I wasn't people call you Ford's coach, that's your title, but I, I was in charge of all those areas. So I really enjoyed that, and Gibbo gave me a lot of that. Um, so uh, and in 2019. Uh, probably a bit more in my lane. So stayed scrums, lineouts, forward shapes, attacking shapes, uh, and passing, catch pass. So um, as an assistant, you can kind of change a a certain amount. I think 2018, I was able to change quite a lot because I hadn't had a great year. 2019, I'd say I probably could change 35% of the team around. That would be my input as an assistant coach, and that's my job. So, But as a head coach, you can really drive cultural change and standards. Like um, you can really sorry. you would see this you can drive standards like you can you're you, good as the enemy are great and if you accept good you'll never be great so um, and and I remember Harry Johnson Holmes my weary head front rower he won um, he won rookie of the year 2018 and he walked off the stage at Waratah's presentation and he'd had me for 20s and Waratah so he's had two years of me at that stage and I said oh that's a, that's a good award mate And he looked at me and he said, yep, but it's not great. And I said, good boy. Because that's what you want to drive. You want to be the best, you've got to drive. And and that's what I love about those boys, you know.
0: Mate, um, he, like, effectively, he's learning to play tight head prop at the highest level. In, at the highest level, which is very uncommon, and he's doing a good job.
1: He, he's strong, mate. He's got redhead, what I call redhead mongol strength. strength <laughs> and I like that about him. But you, People don't, apart from you and people who play, people don't understand what that is. Like, we're asking a player to do the hardest thing in rugby. People don't understand. Loose heads, one shoulder on, tight heads, two shoulders on, the completely different. People think it's a front It's not the same. That kid... Is doing an amazing job off the back of being switched from a loose head position to a tidy position. Now he has played tidy at different times at Clubland. There's a big difference. There's 1.2 ton at international level goes through that front row. So you make the smallest of errors and it looks like a car crash. So that boy's he's 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 um he's doing his team and his country proud around trying to stick in. I
0: not agree more, well, mate. For for I will argue to my death that tidy prop is the hardest position in rugby. And I was arguing with a fly-half mate of mine. He's going, no, fly-half, you have to make more decisions, there's more pressure. And I've gone, if you put Sir Kobe at 10 and Bernard followed to 3, let's see who lasts yeah. long.
1: <laughs> well, you see, over here on my right, you won't see him, but I've got uh, Nathan White, who's my scrum coach at Toledo, and he's my forwards coach. He's uh, island-tidied. So oh, yeah. he's going to be laughing right now. Because <laughs> so, uh, he agrees with you, 100% he agrees with you.
0: Mate, last question, and um, it's something I've, I kind of ask everyone, but uh, I think it's quite an insightful, well, I hope it's quite an insightful question. Um, what would you, what advice would you give Simon Cron going to, into his first year of coaching, looking back now with, with everything that you know?
1: Uh, I would give him the critical few speech versus the important many because I think we all look at too much. Uh, and and I want to make it clear for my players. I want to give them the best opportunity to be successful the next week. So get good at working out what's critical. Um, and um, I suppose it's hard because all of those things, all those those errors you make along the way, make you who you are. So and I've made plenty. Um, uh, so you know, I look back. I was far too aggressive in the stands to the coaches next to me. And by aggressive, I mean I. I put my fist through. Players never saw it. I'm pretty sure at North Sydney Oval, there's a hole in the wall uh, in that tower because I put my fist through. Um, so now uh, my assistant coaches will tell you that a few of them have got um, dead arms. So um, I'm not sure. You know, I think you learn along the way, um, and you're never complete. You're never complete. So uh, I think I'm five percent of the way uh, where I am now. So, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot more for me to learn and get better at. So, uh, keep learning, keep change, keep evolving. What's old is old. Seven days, mate. rugby, you you gotta evolve. Uh, this um, is really
0: awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Um,
1: uh, a, a pleasure. Happy to any time. And um, playing, against, we our team played against you, mate. And the 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 back right corner at South is the scrum, <laughs> and we went to engage. And it was our feed five meters from your line. And uh, you pulled back slightly, your lock back, your locks back arc. So he pulled back slightly. We got hit and got done for chasing son of a So, so to this day, mate, I remember every time, and, and that's old ball versus young ball. You old ball, my, my, uh, my loose head, he young ball. and you taught him a lesson. So pissed me oh. off, but good job, oh, mate.
0: I couldn't do much else mate
1: so
0: Back to Toyota
1: Yeah right. so so um, I've uh, signed on at to Toyota for uh, a 1 plus 1 which is one with an option uh, yeah. at this stage Um, it was done a while ago um, uh, it, partly due to, to, to I've made a lot of changes there so I need yeah. to go through that at this stage um, and Steve's quite proactive uh, that was before any other stuff popped up, but um, at this stage, that's the plan. Uh,
0: Beautiful, mate. Well, I, I hope hopefully we see you back here one day. Um,
1: you will, mate. You will definitely. That'd
0: be, that'd be great, mate. I appreciate this so much. I've, I've got a tremendous amount out of it, and I'm sure other people will as well. So
1: well, well, like I say, now you're coaching, mate. You can you can zoom me off camera, and we can chat through anything else you want to uh, talk about around your coaching and your development too. No problem, anytime.
0: Mate, I, I, if if once the world opens up again, I'd love to come over and just yeah. fucking
1: be no, there. you're welcome. Come that. to Toyota for a week. I, I know that um, uh, Ruffy was going to come. He's going to come for a week. He was booking his hotel from Warringah and then um, and then COVID hit, and uh, I think Joel Rivers, Parramatta, he's going to pop over, and I offered it to Batch the other day uh, and to chat. So, no, welcome, welcome over, mate, and it's um, mm. a good opportunity.
0: Mate, absolutely. Um, thank you, mate. Enjoy the rest of ISO and um, Thank you again. This has been no awesome. Worry.
1: No pleasure, mate. Anytime.
0: Thanks, Ronnie. Have a good one, mate.
1: Thanks, mate. I've got, I've got six more days. <laughs>
0: oh, God. I, I'd, hate to be, I'd hate to be whitey in your hotel oh, I'll tell you
1: right now, mate. He's, he's blessed. He's, he's a lucky <laughs> man. <laughs> See you, no, boys. Wait, mate. See you, mate.